0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join missions minister, Matt Misiano with
1: the message, Reckless. Good morning, church family. How's everyone doing today? Yeah. Awesome. Hey, this morning I've titled the, me- uh, the message Reckless. Um, so pull out your phone and scroll over to Luke, the 15th chapter, or grab your Bible. And if you're a guest today, welcome. We're glad you're here. There's Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. Feel free to grab that Bible. Turn over to Luke, the 15th chapter. As Pastor Mike said, I'm Matt Messiano. I oversee missions here at Calvary. I have the uh, the absolute pleasure and privilege of taking teams around the world to experience ministry and intentional discipleship to produce spiritual growth, uh, growth in their lives. I very much enjoy providing care for the organizations that we support. I get to contact these organizations and find out how they're doing. How are their ministries performing? What are their challenges? How I can pray for them? How are their marriages? How are their walks? So as a church, we're very much invested in our organizations that we support locally and globally. I personally am looking forward to an opportunity when you guys will join us on a trip. Come to Haiti and also our uh, discipleship trips to Israel. I really encourage you guys to um, come experience life outside of the States. And I just want to make you guys aware that we as a missions ministry are actively praying and asking the Lord to lead us to the right places. And so God has made it very clear for this season that we are called to support Global Vision Citadel Ministries in Haiti, and also for a pretty incredible discipleship program that takes place in Israel, where Pastor Mike really pours into over 20 devotions, unpacking the Bible, and uh, I had the opportunity of going um, last year, actually this year, um, in March, and I honestly have never read the Bible the same. So I really encourage you guys to join us on a trip. Um, So Luke 15 is a beautiful chapter where Jesus clearly teaches God's love for sinners. He uses the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The three parables paint a perfect picture of the unconditional love that God has towards sinners who display true repentance. And so true repentance in the Bible is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Again, true repentance in the Bible is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Now in Acts, the 26th chapter, verse 20 tells us, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and all throughout the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Again, true repentance in the Bible is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Now we're gonna take a look at the scriptures to read the words of Jesus as he teaches us how God's love for sinners is evident and reckless living can be changed through true repentance. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Jesus, we come to you now with grateful hearts. Thank you for the Bible and that we can access your word, that you can speak to our hearts through it. Thank you for the parable of the prodigal son. Thank you for the truth about true repentance, that we can come to you. We can confess the error of our ways. We can invite you into our hearts, and our lives will be transformed. And so, God, anyone in this place today who doesn't know you, who hasn't made the decision to accept you. God, I pray that this would be that day. For those of you who may be living prodigally, they may be far from you, God, I pray for those people as well. I pray that they would come back to you today. And Lord, for those that are walking with you fervently, I pray that you would just speak to their hearts today and that they would leave here with something to share with someone else. And God, I just ask now that I would get out of your way and that your Holy Spirit would have his way. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. And so the first two parables... Um, In this chapter, in chapter 15 of Luke, we see Jesus teaching in a crowd full of Pharisees, scribes, tax collectors, sinners. We see Jesus actively involved in communicating to the multitude of people. And I love this picture of Jesus, a friend of sinners like me, a friend of sinners like us, that Jesus was very uh, boisterous in public. People saw it, didn't matter who they were. The first parable, like the song says, how far will the shepherd go for the one? Well, simple, he'll leave the 99. Not only does he leave the 99, but when he finds the one, he puts the one on his shoulders and carries it. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of the shepherd. And not only does he carry the lost sheep, but he's rejoicing, he's so excited. And then the second parable It teaches us when the woman loses her coin that she searches and she searches and she searches. And when she finds the coin, she's filled with joy and she shares that joy with everyone. These parables clearly teach us how God actively seeks out the lost. I love the truth taught in verses seven and 10. And so for the parable of uh, of the lost sheep, there's more joy in the end of verse seven in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In the end of verse 10, Jesus says, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's joy over one sinner who repents. You see, the parables aren't about sheep and coins. The parables are about people. God is very much interested in people. And so the prodigal son um, is the parable that resonates the most with me and I'll share my story with you. Um, Sometimes we have this desire to do what we want to do. The desire to want can have a variety of outcomes, and if you and I are not careful, we can significantly hurt ourselves or those who are closest to us. If you open up uh, to your Bible, again, Luke 15, verse 11 and 12, Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Right here, we start. Give me the portions of my goods. During this time, it was not common to grant the inheritance before death. You see, the prodigal son wanted his independence and his inheritance. You know, the younger son asked for a special exception. So here's my question. What do you think motivated him? It was greed, foolishness. He wanted something before it was his time to have it. You see, but the father granted the request. You see the clear illustration of God's love? God allowed the rebellion and respected the human will. The father knew the request was foolish and greedy, yet he still allowed him to go. Take a quick self-assessment, church family, in your hearts right now. Is there anything in your life that God is respecting your will on that may not be good for you? Anything in your life that because of free will you're doing, that in the end can hurt you? Verse 13 Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. You see, he wanted to be independent of the father and he lived recklessly. By definition, reckless without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. Proverbs 21.5 tells us, the plans of the diligent certainly leads to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. Some synonyms to reckless, we have careless, thoughtless, hasty, impulsive, irresponsible, and unwise. Speaking of unwise, I've heard a wise man tell us that the greatest tool for interpreting the Bible is the Bible, and I know Pastor Mike shares that. So reckless living, what what did he do? So I look over to verse 30, and the older brother is frustrated, tells the father, he lost all of his inheritance on prostitutes. So I can look forward in verse 30, and I can interpret what verse 13 is talking about, and it reveals to me what type of reckless living the younger brother, the prodigal son, was living. The prodigal living was fun while it lasted because sin can be pleasurable for a moment, but in the end, it leads to death. You know, there's an alternative plan. Hebrews 11.25 says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You see, church family, sin may be pleasurable for a moment, but it passes. And you and I have a choice. God gives us free will. We can freely choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing because God respects our will. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. No doubt the sun blew it, but his disobedience was not the reason in which the famine came. You see, heaven's our guarantee to those who put our trust in Jesus. To those of you who put your trust in Jesus, our time on earth will have its fair share of trials. We will be faced with hardships. We will be faced with, just like the prodigal son, a famine. And the depth of our spirituality will be the deciding factor in how we handle these challenges. You see, church, the prodigal son was not prepared when the famine of life came through. Are you? Are you prepared for life's hardships? Again, the depthness of our spirituality, we can have a great result when the hardships of life come. Because the sovereignty of God knows all and allows all for the greater good. And only he can make sense of what may make no sense. Pick it up in verse 15 and 16. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Church family, you see where sin leads? It leads us down a path of destruction. The direction of sin always leads down, down, down. Just look from the father's house to the famine, from the famine to the pig pen and eventually as we read further along to true brokenness. You see, the son got a job feeding pigs. Did you know this job was offensive during that time? It was offensive to any Jewish person under the law to do anything with pigs. No one gave him anything. What misery must have he been experiencing? What brokenness? Church family, I have to ask you another question. Are you enabling anyone? Are you intervening ahead of God because it's the nice thing to do? Did the Lord ask you to step in? Don't make good what God is allowing to be bad. It could compromise true repentance. And if we're not careful, we could be that factor that withholds somebody from reaching that true repentance in their life. I'm not discouraging you from being there for someone. I'm just asking you, did God ask you to be where you're at? Did you hear clearly from him? Helping too soon may hurt. Verse 17 through 19. But when he had came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants, again, hired servants, have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You see, the prodigal son came to himself, and in this moment, he finally reached brokenness, and he was able to think clearly. You see, while thinking clearly, he didn't blame the father, he didn't blame his brother, he didn't blame the pigs, he didn't blame his boss. He did not focus on his misery, although he was very much aware of it, but if you read in those verses, he focused on the Father. He he began preparing his speech to his Father. You see, the the Son was truly repentant. An honest confession of sin. He even requested to be treated as a hired servant. He expressed sin against heaven and the Father, and this shows a change of thinking. No excuses. He even requested, again, to be treated as a hired servant. He took full responsibility and did not blame anyone or anything else. The son changed his attitude from give me to treat me. Give me to treat me as one of your hired servants. According to some scholars, the ordinary slave was actually considered to be a part of the family during that time. You see, the prodigal son realized at that moment that he wasn't even worthy in his mind to be a part of the family, so he accepted a position that there's no reason you can be dismissed. Hired servants could be let go at any time, at any moment, for any reason. But a slave was a part of the family. And the prodigal son correlated himself to an hired servant. He said, I'll be like a hired servant. True repentance, he truly reached the end of himself. You see, the son had hit rock bottom. Church family, i got to ask you a question. When you hit rock bottom, the only place you can look is? One more time. That's right. The prodigal son hit rock bottom, and the only place that he could look was up. Let's read the first part of verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. Right there. You see, the prodigal son did not stop at the realization of his reckless living. He actually did something about it. He took action. Check out the father's response when we truly repent. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see, the father's love waited and never forgot. Despite the son's actions, disgracing the family through his reckless living. Church family, who did the running? The father, the father did the running. This intense reception clearly indicated, is clearly indicated by the father running. And just so you know, culturally back then it was very uncommon for m- grown men to run. And then also the kissing part. This is love. You notice the son, was, he was preparing his speech, the father didn't even hear the speech. Immediately, we'll hear his response in a minute here, but I want to talk to you guys quickly about a, um, actually verse 21, excuse me. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So here we have it, true repentance. Again, I want to talk to you about a dark room. You know, when I invite guests over to my home, I make sure that everything's in order. I make sure that the uh, the, the beds are made and There's a candle lit, and if I put some time into cooking a meal that the aroma is amazing, uh, that, that the meal is gonna be satisfactory, that people are gonna enjoy the encounter. And so I invite them into the living room and everything's in order, and maybe give them a little tour and everything's in order, and the smell is amazing, but it's that room in the back. The room that I don't bring anyone in. It's my dark room, why don't I ever bring anyone into my dark room, we'll see. I want you guys to think about this for the second half of the message, this, this quote, a short time of pleasure can lead to a lifetime of pain, or a short time of pain can lead to a lifetime of pleasure. Church family, again, a short time of pleasure can lead to a lifetime of pain, or a short time of pain can lead to a lifetime of pleasure. Maybe there's something you want in your life but it's not good for you, so you have a little bit of pain, you say no, but it leads to a lifetime of pleasure. Or if you indulge yourself in that thing that you want right away, it may have some pretty big consequences. So back to that dark room, I want you to think about that throughout the message. The dark room is where you stuff all your pain, all your lies, all your secrets, all your guilt, all your shame, and all your fear. You know, 80% of who you are, the people in your life know. Maybe 10 more percent, maybe people that are close to you know a little bit more, but that 10% in the back room, do people know? Have you invited people into your dark room? Do you have a dark room? I had a dark room, past tense, and I'm so excited about what happens when you let the light in. And so I'm gonna share my testimony with you guys this morning, and um, I'm, I'm glad to. So I was born into a broken home. My biological father left because he didn't wanna be a dad. I never met him, and when I was 25 years old, I found him, but it was two years too late. He had died from liver failure from um, being an alcoholic. And my mom over there, I have an incredible mom who has been faithful, who's been praying for me and doing both parts, mom and dad, you know? I remember being on the soccer field as a little boy um, you know, there's, there's those parents out there, the dads, they're like, come on, kid, keep going, pushing them. Um, but my mom, she would be, don't hurt my son. Every time I scrape a knee, she'd run and grab, make sure I wouldn't cry, bringing me tissues. So it was a little bit embarrassing, but you know what? Praise God for faithful mothers. Yeah. Amen. So my mom is a prayer warrior. Pastor Mike talked about it. They were praying for me while I was far from the Lord. Um, I was eight years old the first time that I was sexually abused. I was sexually abused by a male and a female at two separate occasions outside of my immediate family. These are things that you go through, the the things that at least that I went through. And at the age of eight, you should be coloring. You should be playing imagination station. You should be playing with Play-Doh or Legos, not doing what I had been through. And so I wrestled with this idea of this good feeling, but also this, this isn't right. But how do you process that at the age of eight, right? Do you know who to talk to about it? So you stuff it in that dark room, that's where the dark room begins. So I was confused throughout the early parts of my life. I never fit into school, Um, I never fit into any group, so I actually got dismissed from school early, and I had to dial in from a home phone, I wasn't allowed into my public school. I was very sexually promiscuous, um, probably stemmed from what happened when I was young. I had struggled with porn, and I was experimenting with all types of drugs. Something had to happen. So I got saved at Calvary Fort Lauderdale at the age of 14. I know Pastor Mike talks about uh, when he got saved, he felt wave upon wave. I felt that. I felt wave upon wave of just this tender love, this amazing, amazing warmth and and it was God reaching down from heaven loving me, accepting me as his son, bringing me into his sonship. I was a part of the fellowship. And I went on my first missions trip to the Bahamas. So now I'm the missions minister here at the church. It's kind of cool. Looking back, I went to Bahamas. I love the Lord. The leadership at Calvary Fort Lauderdale saw a call in my life to be a pastor and began investing in me. So I got hired at Calvary Fort Lauderdale as a janitor um, around the age of 17. And I led worship for the middle school ministry. You see, the problem was all that stuff that I didn't really let go It was kind of lingering. I began to live a double life, and so it caught up to me. Eventually, it caught up to me, and I confessed uh, my sin, but just a reminder, a little bit of pleasure leads to a lifetime of pain, and so I responded to that little bit of pleasure, and it hurt. I lost my job at the church, and I fell far away from the Lord, because church family, I didn't see myself the way that God sees me. Do you see yourself the way that God sees you? I thought it was too hard to have a relationship with him. I was very confused. I confessed my sin, I went my separate way, and I joined the army, which I loved. At this point, I grew up very quickly. I found myself in Iraq in 2003 to 2004 for the initial invasion, and I stayed there for 12 months. I survived my first tour in combat, which was extremely intense, as I conducted hundreds of missions all throughout the country. I got married right after my first deployment, which ended shortly due to extramarital affair on her part. And um, at that moment, I became a heavy drinker. Uh, I just drank and drank and drank and drank, and that was the thing to do. When I wasn't working, work hard, play hard. That was the motto. I met another young woman. We got pregnant, and then we got married. But see, at this point, I wasn't an honest man in my life. I felt as long as she didn't know what I was doing behind closed doors, that it didn't happen. And eventually, it caught up to me. Eventually, the false reality that I was lying to myself came out. You see, but I deployed for a second tour, and I'm gonna read from these paragraphs because there's a lot of content and I didn't wanna forget, so um, I deployed for a second tour in 2007 to 2008. One week after I deployed, my daughter was born. Elizabeth was born, and it would be 15 more months before I would be able to come home and be daddy. I served under a special forces commander as a military police officer. I had an SF commander, and we did some, we did some crazy things. I found myself doing missions that involved raids, high-value target searches, Soft and hard knock searches, so uh, soft is a gentle entry and a hard knock is you you just kick the door down. And cork missions, capture or kill missions. I conducted dismounted night ops where night vision devices provided sight and I had constant communications with heavily armed helicopters as I managed a 14-man team and we went door to door looking for insurgents. We were in danger every second that I was in that country. This tour took a huge toll on me As I have personally been faced with snipers, small arms fires, grenade attacks, roadside bombs, suicide bombers, and vehicle-borne IEDs, I have personally seen and experienced all of these forms of attacks. I have seen some of the most terrible after effects of terrorism, and without sharing their horrific visual details, have seen more death than asked for. Now, in culmination with all this, I'm having multiple affairs, so I decided to confess. Now, I became the cheater. And so I decided to confess to her and rightfully show she took my daughter and moved away. My daughter was two and a half years old when she left. So again, I came home. She was 15 months old. And then a year and a few months later, my daughter was gone. But see, that time that I was home, I wasn't home. War had taken such a toll on me, it was hard for me to function as a parent, hard for me to function as a husband. And so the the military medically retired me. I was 29 years old, suffering with severe post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury, anxiety, and several audio, visual, and physical impairments. I was absolutely destroyed, and outside of war, realized the terrible decisions I made after it was too late. You see, church family, a lifetime of pain. In March of 2011, I got out of the military and I went to Calvary Port St. Lucie, and for those of you that know Pastor Teddy, I stayed up all night taking ecstasy, and so I showed up to Calvary Port St. Lucie on Peacock, and I said, Pastor Teddy, I'm coming down off ecstasy. And he, he said, well, he could tell by the size of my pupils. And he brought me into um, his office, and I, and I told him, I said, Pastor Teddy, I know the truth. I don't wanna live this way. And he said, you gotta make a choice. I was so mad at him because I wanted him to fix me. I was so discouraged because I wanted him to make all my problems go away but he gave me the best counsel that day. He said, you gotta make a choice. You gotta choose God. And at that moment, I wasn't ready. I became heavily addicted to all my medication that the VA was mailing to my mailbox. I was drunk every day by noon, and I was under the influence of marijuana all day to avoid anything war-related and all of my failures. Not to mention, my heavily ad- I was heavily addicted to porn at this point. You see, my life was slowly fading away. Can you believe that up until September 2013, I couldn't be around people? I had no joy. I didn't smile. PTSD had such a grip on me. And so in the culmination of all this, September of 2013, me and my buddy go to this rave called Tomorrow World in Georgia. We're up uh, for four days on MDMA, and um, praise God I survived. So it's the fourth day, No sleep, I got drugs in my pocket, we're leaving, and we were selected for a random vehicle search. I see 40 federal law enforcement officers, I was a police officer in the army, I was going to jail. I knew that my life was over, just down, 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 but then the guy looks at me and says, hey, we're just kidding. That moment right there, God got a hold of my heart. Right there at that second, The car ride home, I finally reached the end of myself, truly broken and truly repentant. How would God respond to me? First, let's see how the father responded to the son in verse 22. But the father said, uh, verse 22 and 23, I'm sorry, verse 22 through 24. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Church family, the robe was reserved for the guest of honor. The ring was a symbol of authority. The shoes were not usually for slaves and therefore signified his full restoration to sonship. And the fattened calf, this was reserved for only the most special occasions, a sacrifice or a feast of great celebration. Robe, ring, shoes, fattened calf were not necessities, but the father did it to show love and to honor the son. You see, the son came back with his prepared speech, but it's like the father didn't even hear it. He prepared his repentant speech, but the father was so overwhelmed to see his son. And he gives him all this. The father did much more than merely meet the son's needs. They were celebrating. The son came back from the dead. How did the father respond to me? Well, the 12-hour car ride home. I did a lot of thinking, a lot of thinking, and so I decided to come to church. Saturday, October 5th of 2013, and what I just shared with all of you, I shared with Pastor Mike after a Saturday night service. I rededicated my life to Jesus, and I had no idea what he had in store for me. God immediately, immediately took away all of my addictions. I stand before you, by God's grace, drug-free since September 2013. We give God the glory for that. Amen. I now stand... And I mean, stand on top of post-traumatic stress disorder. It controlled me, but now I control it by the strength that can only come from God. Amen. I I have joy, I have joy. I was so miserable. I have joy, I have hope. Amen, amen, (laughs) praise God. You see, church family, even when the storms of life come, even when the famines come, even when the hardship happens, guess what? We have all we need in Jesus. Amen. We have direct access to that. <laughs> Praise God. Check this out. My daughter moved to Florida. She moved back. Her mother took her to Colorado, and I began raising her through, over the summer. She would go back and forth. And this is so hard. God brought her here two years ago. mom got a job at a local company. We have a great friendship, and I went from seeing my daughter um, every summer and every other Christmas to six days a week. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, it's not because of me, it's because of him. I got to tell you, it's not because I did something this way or that way, it's only because of him. I'm one semester away from my associate's degree followed by a plan for a Bible degree at PBA for theology and biblical studies, yeah. amen. And through intense discipleship, remember that dark room I talked about? You let that light in, let God fix that dark room because he's willing, he's gonna run to you. He's gonna run to you to help you through your problems. He's not, he's not gonna wait for you to arrive at his presence. He's ready right now to be in your presence. He's ready to fill you, to transform you, to love you. And so through intense discipleship, incredible accountability, an incredible panel of accountability partners, and amazing counseling sessions with Norm Yeager, who's sitting back there, who I went to go visit a couple seasons ago and to talk about pornography. I am free from the addiction of porn. Church church family, I did not expect a robe, a ring, shoes, and a fattened calf, but man, did God show up in an amazing way. Now I live my life all for the Lord. Everything is all for the Lord, amen. Church family, this is my favorite room to share because it's not a dark room anymore. It's an illuminated room. Those wounds are scars. Scars are a testimony of the greatest piece of history, his story, and what God can do and what only God can do. So i want to talk to you quickly about the car ride. Join a life group. If you don't have a life group, join a life group. By God's grace, he utilized a life group, a panel of brothers to love me back to health. Let me tell you something, when I'm driving in my car, I see the big front windshield. I have a blind spot here and I have a blind spot here, but when I invite somebody into my car to do life with me, guess what, they can see what I cannot and I can see what they cannot. Number two, you put somebody in the back seat on the left, they can see out the left side of the car, invite somebody onto the other seat, they can see out the right side of the car and you can see everything. You can work through life together. You have to invite people in your life that God can use to help you get through whatever it is that you're going through. Now notice this, the rearview mirror is so tiny. It's so small. And you see, my dark room, which is now illuminated, is in the rearview mirror. If I fixate myself on everything that I did wrong for the rest of my life, I will miss out on the front windshield of life. And because God has made it so, you and I can be all that God has called us to be if we get into his presence. Invite people into the car life ride of your life. Invite people into the car ride of your life. Join a life group. My life group learned about me, I learned about them, we helped each other out, they saw my blind spots, I saw them, their blind spots, and we call each other out. And let me tell you something, church family, because of God, because of integrity, because of transparency, I stand before you today able to communicate because of only God. And God can do this for you as well. He can change your life, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so here's the question. Are you far from God today? Do you want to give your life to Jesus? I'm not going to call you up here. I'm just going to ask you to stand. Number one, if you want to give your life to Jesus, take a stand. Or number two, if you're far from, amen. If you're far from the Lord. Amen. If If you're far from the Lord and you want to come back, if you're like me, a prodigal, and you think, oh, God, you just don't want me. Everything that I've done wrong, all the things that I did, oh, man, I I understand. But God welcomed me back. So if you're far from the Lord and you're a prodigal and you want to come back to Jesus today, take a stand. Two categories. If you've never accepted Christ or if you want to come back to Jesus, take a stand. So Charles Spurgeon said this while you're thinking, amen. Praise God. Let's give him a Praise God. So Charles Spurgeon said, Some of you whom I now address have been thinking and thinking and thinking till I fear that you will think yourselves into perdition. May you by divine grace be turned from thinking to believing or else your thoughts will become the undying worm of your torment. I would that sinners here would break their league with death and violate their covenant with hell by escaping for their lives to Jesus who receives all such runaways. Church family, if you're in your seat right now, Be in prayer for maybe one person who's thinking. Praise God, one sinner who repents. Praise the Lord. Maybe you are wrestling in your heart, but let me tell you, God forgave me. He can forgive you. Jesus died for all. For those that put their trust in him and their faith in him. Is there anybody else who wants to come back to the Lord or give their life to Jesus? Church family, let's give a big round of applause to these people who stood up. Amen. So, so here's what's gonna happen. You can you take a seat. So we're just gonna pray for the three of you who stood up. You guys just pray in your hearts. It's not a poem. It's not a fancy. It has to be said this way, but it's your heart. It's your heart. True repentance is the change of mind that results in a change of action. Your heart. So I'm gonna say a prayer, echo something in your heart, have your own conversation with God. Jesus, thank you that today is the day of salvation, that I can come back to you, that I can give my life to you. Jesus, that you died, you were crucified for me. And three days later, you rose again. And right now, you're seated at the right hand of a father. Father, I pray for these three people who stood up today I pray that they would find a life group and people to do life with. God, that they would be transformed and challenged to change. And I pray, Lord, as you hear their heart, that you would let them know, Lord, that you're with them. Thank you for those who chose to follow you today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Appreciate it. Amen. Praise the Lord, huh? I just want to share with you guys uh, before we close in prayer uh, you heard a lot about the importance of getting into a life group and doing life together with other people so that they can see your dark room and they can hold you accountable and you can hold them accountable and receive healing through that community that's acts chapter two that's how they did church listen we don't just go to church we are the church and we need to be there for one another. And so we're going to give you lots of information in January on how exactly you can join a life group. Life groups will start at the end of January. And so I encourage you to take Matt's advice in that regard. Um, if you did come back to the Lord or come to the Lord, whether you stood or not, um, I'm gonna ask the prayer partners to come forward. But um, in a, after I close in prayer, Um, As everyone's leaving, if you gave your life to the Lord or came back to the Lord, just come forward, and we want to give you a free study Bible to help you in your walk with the Lord. God changes lives. I, I tell you, Christianity is not a fairy tale. It's a fact, and it's what we need. You know, there's evidences that Jesus Christ and his way is the only way. It's the evidence of fulfilled prophecy that we talked about last week. You cannot explain that away. It's a supernatural miracle uh, from God. Hundreds of prophecies fulfilled literally in history. That means the Word of God is God's Word. It's not just a book, a religious book. It's God's Word to us. That's evidence one. Evidence two is the empty grave. No one has ever been able to disprove the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, marched out of a grave, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so he is the only way. But evidence number three is what you heard today. It's changed lives. Let me tell you something, nothing in the universe can change someone so hard-hearted to a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ than the grace and the love of God. And so can we thank God for what he did in Matt's life one more time? (laughs) Praise the Lord for that. The prayer partners are here for anybody and everybody who has any kind of prayer um, um, need in your life. Maybe it's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. They'll hold it all confidential, but they'll uh, pray over you and listen to you. And I encourage you as people are leaving to come forward for prayer uh, today. If you guys could stand to your feet. What a wonderful way to end the year. We're here for you if you need us. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your love and grace. Thank you, Lord, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You're the only answer, Jesus. So we look to you, we follow you, we make a big deal about you, and we worship you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in Matt's life, but Lord. Uh, millions and millions and millions of other people throughout the last 2,000 years changed lives because of your grace. We thank you, and we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, God bless you. We'll see you next week. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here, then knowing Christ.